We're going to be in Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. We're continuing our Advent series, and, and today we're going to talk about the birth of, of Jesus and how God works and behind the scenes in, in all of this to make happen what he wants to happen. So let's look in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Luke 2, 1, it says this, Now in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to, to, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. While they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for, for them in the inn. Let me pray over these verses this morning. God, today we acknowledge your sovereignty. You are God. You are the sustainer of life. You hold all things together by your will and by your word. You know the end from the beginning. Not only in the Christmas story, but God, you know that in our lives. And I pray today that we would find encouragement and strength we need from the truth that you are sovereign over all. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's a parable that's told. A long time ago, there was a farmer who had a horse and a son, one, one son, one horse. And during a storm one day, the son was riding the horse. The horse got spooked and ran off and was lost. The neighbors came to the father and said, We are so sorry that your son is lost. Um, it's just, it's so bad. And he says, Well, how do you know that it's bad? The next day, the son and the horse found their way back. Actually, after a few days, they found their way back. And behind the horse were 13 wild stallions following the horse. And the neighbor said, man, look at all the horses that your son and, and the horse found. This is so good. And he says, how do you know this is good? They started breaking the horses. And during the time of breaking the horses, the son was being bucked and fell off and he broke his leg. And the neighbors came to the farmer and said, we're sorry that your son broke his leg this is so bad, and now we can't help with the farm. And the farmer said, how do you know this is bad? The next day, a military commander came through, conscript, you know the word, enlisting uh, people for the military. And they came to this farmer and his son, and his son had the broken leg, and they did not choose him to go to the military because his leg was broken. And the neighbors came and they said, Oh, it is so good that your son did not have to go into military. And he says, How do you know that this was good? 
After a few weeks, the people came back from the military and, and they had won their battle and they had split all the spoils and everybody serving in the military had lots of, of uh, increase in wealth except this particular farmer, farmer's son. And we could go on and on with this story. How do you know it's good? How do you know it's bad? The point here is what appears to be good one day could be bad the next day, and what appears to be bad one day could appear good the next day. And the lesson here is what we know in Romans 8.28 that says, We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. This doesn't say all things are good. It doesn't say that God makes everything good for everyone. It says when we are called according to His purpose, when we love God and surrender to Him, whatever is going on, while it may seem bad, God is sovereign, and He works it to what is good. We may not be able to understand how God's working, especially when things look really bad. We have a really hard time seeing that. What seems bad one day, the next day we get up and find out some more information, and it's really good. But that is the sovereignty of God. God is always at work. He's taking care of situations that look really, really bad from our perspective, and he shows us that he is still in control. And we see this in the Christmas story. As we read through this story, we need to remember that things may look bad, but God's sovereign. So let's, let's look at this passage, see what we can find from it, and be encouraged by it. And so first we see that even though it looks like Caesar is in control, God is still sovereign. Look in verse 1 and 2. In those days a decree went out, from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So on March 15th, 44 BC, the same men who declared Julius Caesar as God stabbed him to death, right? The Ides of March. Everyone maybe remember that from history class. And everything that Julius Caesar had, all his wealth, all his titles, all his authority, everything he had was given to his adoptive son, a 19-year-old by the name of of Octavius. He was, Agaius Octavius was his name. Over the next 20 years, Octavius uh, transformed himself into the greatest leader that Rome had ever known. And he began to add titles to his name. He began first with the, with the Latin word princeps, which means leading citizen. He added next pont- pontifex maximus, which means high priest. Eventually, he added the name Augustus, which means supreme ruler. He, this was Augustus Caesar. And in the autumn of 12 BC, Halley's Comet streaked across the sky. And so Caesar Augustus said, this this, uh, streak across the the sky is Julius Caesar entering into heaven because he is a god. And if Julius Caesar is a god and I'm his son, uh, Augustus Caesar said, I am a son of God. He declared himself God, 
and people worshipped him in the Roman Empire. So a man calling himself the supreme leader, the son of God, decided he wanted to make a census. He chose to, to, to essentially tax the whole world. The census wasn't so much to see how many people were there for Rome. It was how many people were in the kingdom so that each one could be taxed the exact amount that he wanted to be taxed. It was an issue of bringing in money. And Julius Caesar says, I have an idea. I'll, I'll take a census. I'll know how many people are in the world because he ruled the world at that time and get my taxes from the people. When Luke, so, so he thinks he's the, he's the one in control, but when Luke is telling the story, he's showing that Augustus Caesar is a pawn in God's plan, right? God is the one who's sovereign. God said, hey, Augustus, why don't you, why don't you make a, a census? And why would he do that? Because years before, Wes read it earlier, in Micah, God said this through Micah, but as for you, Bethlehem Ephathra, too little to be among the clans of Judah. From you, one will go forth for me to be ruler of Israel. His goings forth are from long ago, from the days of eternity. See, God chose Joseph and Mary to have Jesus. The issue was they lived in Nazareth. That's where presumably they grew up. Their roots were there. They were planning to get married there. And God promised that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem, some 90 miles south of Nazareth. And this was not a mobile culture like ours are. We would say, okay, we need to move 90 miles. We can do that, maybe. And just pick up and, and move. It's a move from here to Grand Junction, or give or take, or here to, to wherever, you know, Gunnison's, what, 60 miles. So, I mean, it's something in that range. But it was an ordeal for them. So how would God have somebody he chose in Nazareth to give birth in Bethlehem? He uses his pawn, the supreme ruler of the world, and says, call a census. It looked like Caesar was in control. It looked like he was the one who ruled everything but God is the one who is sovereign. Maybe Joseph and Mary knew about this verse in Micah. Maybe they'd forgotten it. My guess is they had other things on their mind. They're young married. They're just told they're having a baby. And uh, they're not even married, I mean, but they're, they're planning to get married and, and they're going to have a baby and there's all these plans that's going through. My guess is they weren't really thinking about it. And through all this, they had to move 90 miles. We'll talk about that in a minute. And I'm sure they thought, Augustus, what are you doing? He's ruining our lives. You could not pick a worse time to call a census in the middle of all this. Mary's pregnant, and, and she's about to give birth, and we've got to pick up and move. This is the, really the wrong time for us. But God is sovereign. It was the exact right time. It was the exact right thing for them. They might have thought about rebelling against the order that Caesar Augustus said. I doubt it, but they might have. But, they, but 
all I'm trying to get at is it looks like Caesar's in control, but God is sovereign. And today it's the same thing. We need to trust the sovereignty of God. It may look like everybody else is in control. In October, I was to go to the annual state meeting. And uh, it, if you remember, we had a business meeting, and then a pot, well, we had a potluck, then a business meeting. It was kind of snowing out, and we needed to go across the, the mountains. And before I went, and I won't bore you with the details, I had to make a little adjustment to my car, which involved a little tiny nut to get my uh, defroster working right. Um, my, the gray ghost, as, as Wes calls it. It's this, uh, the, and I've got to, twice a year, I've got to make an adjustment so the air comes out the right places. Anyway, um, so I was making this adjustment and this tiny little nut in my fat fingers, and I dropped it, but it was underneath the dash. So I, I started looking for it, and I, I couldn't find it. I reached down there, and I got my flashlight, tried to find it, and, it's, and I, I can't find it. And so I'm getting a little irritated, and I get my magnet out, and I try to find it, and I can't, I can't find it, and I'm getting angry. And, and then I'm um, looking for it and looking for it. I call Rhonda. I'm losing my marbles. I'm just, like, freaking out. I've got, I got to get on the road. The longer this takes, why is this always? I'm just, um, it's stupid how mad I'm getting. And I cannot find this nut. And I dropped it in the dash. And I'm like, how can it not be there? And I look, and I look, and I look, and I look, and I can't find it. And so out of desperation, I decided to take the floor mat up and look underneath it. And I kid you not, in the middle of the floor, underneath the mat, is my little bitty nut. Now, I cannot tell you how I dropped it in the dash, and it got underneath the mat. But it was, I don't know, a half hour, 45 minute me losing my marbles because this, why is this happening? Forgetting that this is, maybe God's in this somehow. I pull it up and I'm like, how? I don't know. I don't know. So I put the nut on and I go. The thing is, while Lene and Betty went before uh, I was able to go, they hit quite a bit of snow. When I went, I, Monarch was clear. And I went the entire way without hitting any snow. And, and I hit a little bit of snow at the very end, close to Colorado Springs. And it, it was fine. I don't do well at night, and I don't do well at night snow driving. And so I'm taking that as God being sovereign and kind enough to say, you know what, you just need to wait just a little bit, and then you can go. Because God is sovereign. And maybe you're like me, that sometimes I forget that God is sovereign. And that irritating delays are really not irritating delays that are caused by anyone else but God saying, maybe you just need to wait a minute. My schedule could very well um, be God choosing to change something in my life to keep me safe, to teach me a lesson, to direct me on a different path, to make me encounter. I can tell you time and time again, the, the 45 minutes I spent at Wendy's one time getting my dinner, so angry that it took 45 minutes at Wendy's. Why would it take that long? And then we ate, and I'm grumping the whole time. And right before we leave, a couple that Rhonda, here in Montrose, a couple Rhonda and I haven't seen in 
probably 15, 20 years, walks in. And we get to sit. And you know what we did? We sat there an hour and talked, right? (laughs) And so it's like thinking less about me and remembering more and more that God is sovereign. And we could take this to any aspect. You look at the politics. The Democrats are not in control. The Republicans are not in control. The president's not in control. The world leaders are not in control. God is sovereign. God is the one who directs the hearts of kings. And it might look like everything else is coming, but uh, everything else is, is in control, and everything else is coming against us. But God reminds us, that it looks like other people, other forces might be in control. He is the one who's sovereign. Listen to this verse in Isaiah 46. Isaiah 46, 8 through 11. Remember this and be assured. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country, truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. God loves us enough to accomplish His will in our lives. It will happen. The, the, the better path is to work within that will, to surrender to Him, to look to Him. The harder path is saying, I'm going to live my life and live out here while you fight God for sovereignty. That's the harder life. That's the life where things feel like Caesar is in control or this, these catastrophes are always in control instead of seeing God being the one that's sovereign. So we can remember that while Caesar, it looks like Caesar's in control, God's still sovereign. We can also look at this in, in verses 3 and 4, that even when the world is in chaos... God's hands still guide us. Look in 3 and 4. And everyone was on his way to register for the census. Read that sentence again. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was the house and family of David. Everyone went to register. Think about this. Everyone is sitting in their homes. They're working in their businesses. They're taking care of their crops, their animals, all that. And Caesar Augustus comes and says, you have to go to the city of your ancestors. Everyone. And that might mean some people who great-grandparents and great-great-grandparents were there in Nazareth. But for a lot of people, it meant picking up and going to their ancestral home, wherever that might be. And so everyone had to pick up. The whole, the whole 
the whole world had to do this. It wasn't just Israel. It was, it was the whole world. Think, think about this. We're living here in Montrose, and, and the government comes along. You, you just maybe moved to a new home, let's say, <laughs> and, and, uh, and the government comes and says, you know what, everyone needs to pick up and move to where your grandfather was born. So where was your grandfather born? Think about that. Some of you might have been right here, and that's fantastic. You know where mine was born? Mine was born, let's see, I wrote it down, i got to find it. Yeah, Totten Hollow, Pennsylvania. I don't, I, I looked that up, that's right between Buchanan Hollow and Chamberlain Hollow. <laughs> that's where my great-grandfather was born. Sizerville, Pennsylvania was where my Grandfather was born just eight miles north of Emporium, Pennsylvania, if that helps. The, the point is, would that bring chaos to your life? All of a sudden, you've got to pick up and you've got to move. Even if it's temporary, you've got to go there until you're counted. And we're not talking about U-Hauls and, and big trucks and, and cars. We're talking about beasts of burden that hauled whatever stuff you might have. And so... The world was turned upside down into chaos. Everyone in the country had to do that. Think about the chaos. What, what would the, emerg- the emergency personnel would have to move? So if there was an emergency, you call up and they said, well, Dr. So-and-so had to go back to North Carolina where his grandfather, you know, everybody was gone. And, and the, the, the stores might be closed and and. The whole thing, all the government services, everyone working there might have to leave. It was just chaos, and the entire country was doing that. People moving into town that that hadn't been here in in generations would be moving back to town because their grandparents lived here while you were trying to get out. I mean, and that's what was going on at the time. The world was in chaos. When Augustus Caesar said, everyone go back to his ancestral city to be counted, it caused chaos. But it was God guiding them to where they needed to be. The world seemed like it was in chaos, but God guided this couple you know, maybe it was so they could get a new start. We talked about that in Sunday school. Little town like Nazareth, she got pregnant outside of wedlock. Probably everyone was talking. Maybe God, it was God's grace to say, let me pull you out of Bethlehem so you can go, go pull you out of Nazareth, come down to Bethlehem where people may not know you. Maybe it was part of God's grace. We're going to find they don't stay real long, a couple years maybe. And then God moves them to Egypt, of all places. I mean, but God is guiding them. God is moving them. Even in the midst of the chaos. I, I was looking online, not, not to go there, but I was looking for a good illustration of this, and I found a, a, a good illustration online about a hotel in, in Bahamas named Atlantis. And there's a water park in the middle of this hotel that looks like an Aztec pyramid, and there's a huge water slide that goes all over the place. And it's really fast, and it kind of goes into the dark. And at one point in time, it opens up. It's, it's a clear tunnel, and you're in the middle of an aquarium with sharks in this aquarium. 
right? So part of the water slide is going through this aquarium with all these deadly animals around you through the water slide. I guess it slows down during that time so the sharks have a chance to look at you or something. And But you're protected. You've got this, this glass protection around you as you're going through this slide so that the creature's instead of eating them, would just look at them. They say it's a scary slide through a tank of scary fish, but there's a protective covering to keep the fish away. And maybe that's what your life feels like. Maybe you feel like you've been plunged into the aquarium of the man-eating sharks and the piranhas and anything else that might try to attack you. And your entire life is in chaos But when you're surrendered to the Lord, He is guiding you through that. There's a protective covering over you so that you, while you're in the middle of chaos, you're really in the clear. Sometimes we feel like that. Sometimes He keeps us out of trouble. Sometimes He gives us, let's just slide right through trouble. But in any case, God is always guiding us. world may seem like it's in chaos, but God's hands still guide us. We can also be encouraged when we look at this story and see that even when everything was uncertain, God's plan will be sure. Look in verses 5 and 6. In order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child, and while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. Mary went with Joseph. I'm not sure if she was required to or they just decided to get a new start. Maybe she was from the line of David too. Maybe she had to go down herself and register. I don't know. But there was a lot of uncertain things in their lives right now. Where were they going to live? She was about ready to have a baby. Her first baby. there, There wasn't hospitals and all that. How, how is this going to happen? Who was going to help her? Who was going to be there and teach her the things she needed to know? Would Joseph be able to make a living in Bethlehem? Everything in their life right now was up in the air. Everything was uncertain, but there was one thing they could be sure of because God told them. They said, you are going to have a son and his name is going to be Jesus, right? When God told them this is what was going to happen, they could be sure this was going to happen. And while they were, it sounds like, pulling in to Bethlehem, her contraction started, it sounded like. Because God said the baby, the Messiah, was going to be born in Bethlehem. That could be sure. God promised a long time ago that the baby would be born in Bethlehem. He told them it was going to be a boy. The days completed for her to give birth. Everything was unsure. They had no idea where. They didn't even know where they were going to spend the first night. But God's plan is sure. I, I came across this little letter that shows how much God loves us and, con- and concerned for us. It says this, My precious child, I am in control. I am sovereign. I'm able to make things happen the way I want them to go. 
Yes, I allow you to make your own choices. And I know you don't fully understand how these ideas can cooperate side by side. But I'm able to work within and around the choices you make and cause my ultimate purpose to succeed. For this, you must trust me. Ask me about your choices and plans. My wisdom is yours, if you'll ask. I want you to cooperate with my plans. When the people around you don't do that, be assured I'm still in control. I will fulfill my plan. Their choices are their own, but I am in control. Trust me, I'll use it for your good. Lovingly, your heavenly Father, the King. See, it should bring us encouragement that God will fulfill his plans. We might say, I I made a mistake and I lost everything up. Your mistake is not bigger than God's grace and God's sovereignty. He will work it. He will fulfill his plan. You might say, "I, I don't believe he can. Your unbelief is not bigger than God's sovereignty. Yes, there are consequences for our sin. And we may have to live with some of those wrong choices, maybe for the rest of our lives, but that doesn't mean that God's sovereignty isn't bigger than that, that God's grace isn't bigger than that, and that he can still make sure his plan is fulfilled. He can work around it and through it and use those mistakes to bring out good that he wants. No matter how uncertain things in your life are right now, we can be certain that God's plan is sure. Is there a part of your life right now that seems up in the air or uncertain? You're not sure where it all fits in the grand scheme of things. We can be strengthened and encouraged knowing that God's plan is never thwarted by our mistakes. That's good news. That's good. Everything's uncertain, but God's plan can be sure. And we can also find encouragement this Christmas by thinking about this, the last verse, verse 7. Even when nothing seems ideal, God is working his greatest. Even when nothing seems ideal, God will work his greatest. Verse 7, she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in cloths, laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the inn. See, no mother, no father would want their, any child, let alone their first child, to be born in this manner. They went to the inn, there was no room. And, and the, the innkeeper, people see him two different ways. Either someone so harsh who says, there's no room, get out of here. Or someone who is kind and says, look, I am full up, but you can at least have the stable. Get out of the weather. Maybe, uh, I don't know which, what, which one he was, but the point is, they were resigned to have their baby in a barn. And it was probably more like a cave. And you think about a barn that's swollen because of all the people and their beasts of burden that came in, and the innkeeper might not have had enough time to keep the barn clean. And those who were raised in rural America might understand the smell and, and just how dirty it was. But her, she was ready and she was given birth. 
And so they had their first baby in a barn. And they had nothing else to wrap him in, so they found some rags that were in the barn, probably not the most sterile rags you could find, wrapped him up in that, and found a feeding trough and said, this might work as a, as a bed for him. The king of creation, born in a barn, wrapped in rags, and laid in a feeding trough. It was not ideal. But it was the greatest work God would ever do at this point in time until that little baby grew up and then died for our sins and was buried and rose again. But it had, but so these non ideal circumstances is how God worked his greatest work of salvation. Nothing seemed ideal in their life. But we need to remember that when things are not ideal, God is still working and works great works in our life. Taking individually the events and circumstances that God allows may not look like there's any good in them. If you kind of look at this circumstance or maybe look at that circumstance and each one doesn't look maybe like they're good. But we need to remember where we started, Romans 8, 28. We know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. Paul doesn't say every event is good because every event isn't good. But God is working them for his good. Jessica and I, my daughter Jessica's here, and I see her husband Joshua just made it too, so we're glad to have them here. Our daughter Jessica, sorry I keep saying that. Um, but this last week she was here and we made some cookies. She really made them, I was just there kind of eating the dough. But we were making cookies. And if you, if you think about that, I mean, flour, and flour isn't all that good to eat by itself. You just don't go and eat flour. And there's salt. And we like a little bit of salt, but you just don't eat salt, Right? There's baking soda and, and uh, maybe some vanilla. And vanilla isn't all that great, you know. Um, if you take all these ingredients, they are, they are really not that great by themselves. But you take them and you mix them up in the right proportions. And then you, you bake them at the right temperature for the right amount of time. And you get a pretty nice treat out of it. It's, it's good. And that's kind of the way our, our lives are. We might look at this circumstance and say, this was rotten. And we look at this circumstance and say, this, well, I didn't like this at all. And this, wasn't, this was okay, but I don't like it by itself. But, but when we look at how God is kind of mixing all these things up in our lives, and sometimes we go through the heat for the exact amount of time, and it comes out a beautiful thing. It may not seem like things are ideal, but God is working a good work in our lives. So so today, maybe you need to remember, is God sovereign or is he not? Does it feel like Caesar's in control of your life? That other forces are coming in and directing you? Maybe today, you just need to confess God's sovereignty and say, I confess 
that I've been running my life and I need to let you. Or maybe you think like you feel like everything the wheels are coming off your life, like everything is in chaos, the world's turned upside down, but God still guides us in that. Can you see God's hand guiding you? Or are you fighting that guidance? Maybe you need to simply remember that God's plan will be completed no matter what. No person can stop him. No government can thwart it. Nothing can stop what God has got planned. His plan will be sure. Maybe that, you need that encouragement today. Or today, maybe you need reminded that God is doing his, a great work in your life. He's trying to make you more and more like him to be ready for, for when he comes back. To, to, he's, he's trying to bring more people into his kingdom and he wants to use you to do that. He is working a good work in your life. And things may not seem ideal, but that's when God is working great things. I'm going to have you bow your heads and think. How is God working in your life today? How is God speaking to you? You respond as when we have this time of response here. God, we come to you and ask you to, to work in our hearts. God, I praise you for your sovereignty. If I thought I was the one controlling all things or that everything was just chance, there would be no hope. There'd be no real purpose in life. But to know that you are guiding us, you're guiding all of history to the culmination of your return. And in that, we each play a part. God, it gives me hope and purpose in my life. Maybe today, someone here just needs to confess your sovereignty. God, I thank you for being in control when things don't look like they're in control. And when things are not ideal, you are still working God, today, if there's someone who needs your encouragement, I pray that you would just surround them with your encouragement. If someone needs your strength, give them their strength, God. And if there's someone who needs your salvation, God, if somebody who's never trusted in you, and their life feels like they're just flapping in the wind, feel like they're lost, they can't find their way, God, right now, let them know in their deep part of their heart that you can bring them home. You can give them purpose. You can give them forgiveness and peace that they've been looking for. And let them turn their lives over to you today. God, I ask you to work in a powerful way now when we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.